following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Uh, this morning, as we shift gears, we've, we've turned over the last three weeks of looking at how God deals with his children. Children who get discouraged, like Elijah did. Children who begin to doubt, like Peter did. Uh, children who find themselves in deep despair, like Naomi did. And we've seen that God is drawn near to those individuals, and he encourages us and comforts us and strengthens us in the middle of it. Now for the next four weeks, as we begin our approach uh, towards uh, the cross, towards Easter, which is coming up uh, in later in April. And by the way, um, that's the most important thing happening on that third Sunday of, of April, just in case there was some golf thing going on on the island. Easter happens to be the most important thing going on uh, that day. Uh, and so we hope to see many of you here uh, uh, on, on that day. We've got three services to make sure you can get there and here and all of those things. But that's a significant moment in the life of the church. As we look, and it is in some ways, the, the, the church calendar is hinged uh, on these two uh, axes of the coming of Christ at Advent, uh, where God invaded history, God invaded humanity, and took up time and place here and dwelt and lived among us. And the other axis is when Christ then encountered death, went through death by the cross, uh, and he secured uh, salvation for all of those who believe in him. Uh, and so these are the two axes uh, of faith uh, for us in the church calendar year. And over these next four weeks, we're going to pick up on the words uh, in Mark. Uh, it says that Jesus fixed his eyes on Jerusalem. Basically, Jesus had been going through his ministry and his ministry life and then got to a point in those last weeks before the cross, and he said, I am fixated on Jerusalem. That's where I'm going. That is my end goal. That is the end game. That is where I have to go in order to accomplish everything that has been designed for me to accomplish. In order for me to fulfill my purpose, I have to go to Jerusalem. And there were plenty of good and well-intending people who told him not to go. There, there were Pharisees, and there were disciples, and there were others who said, Jesus, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to die in Jerusalem. There's people who want to kill you in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, I've got to go to Jerusalem. And so what we're going to do over the next four weeks is pick up in this series called The Compassion of Christ. Uh, and we're going to see uh, the interplay between Christ's compassion and Christ's passion. This week, looking at the compassion of Christ, where it says that Jesus, he wept over and lamented over Jerusalem. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to care for you as a mother cares for her children. You'd have none of it. And it says in one place that he wept in Luke's gospel. That he wept over Jerusalem's rejection of his love and affection. So you see his compassion. But then we're going to jump in and see his passion when he is in Jerusalem. And he goes to the temple. You see a different side. It's not the sweet little compassionate Jesus who weeps over Jerusalem. It is a passionate Savior who says, you have missed the mark. You have missed what this is all about 
and I am willing to turn over these tables. I'm willing to have my life turned over, my tables turned over, so that you can have life. And he comes in passionately in that way. And then we'll flip, and it's a little out of sequence, but then we'll flip on Palm Sunday to his compassion again. Of he could have come in, he was the Lord of hosts. And the Lord of hosts could have summoned all of the angels of heaven to come in and to march triumphantly on the city. But he came in on a donkey. He came in to the songs and the praises of children and of women and of others. And so it was this passion, this compassion of a savior, king. But then on Easter, we look and we see his passion again. His passion to go to the cross. And it was incredibly violent. But the violence that I want to highlight in that is not the violence that was done against Christ. What I want to highlight is the violence that was done against our ultimate enemy, Satan, and death itself. Christ violently interrupted death's power. Satan thought he had him. Satan and the minions must have gone, we got him, he died. And on that third day, what just happened? No one gets to come out of the grave. And he came out of the grave and led into life all of those who had faith in him. And so it's his passion in that way. And so that's what we're going to look at over these weeks together, of the compassion of Jesus Christ as he comes and ministers and reaches out to us. The passage that we're going to look at today is from Matthew chapter 23. Uh, Jesus is moving towards uh, Jerusalem. He is moving uh, in and going to enter the city. And then in chapter 24, he will for the very last time leave the temple and say, I'm not coming back, Ichabod. The glory is gone. And so though as he enters the city... Pick up with me in chapter 23, verse 37, going through 39. This is the word of the Lord. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, You will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. Amen. So first let's highlight this fact. The compassion of Christ. The compassion of Jesus to come back to this people who he describes as a people who rejected him outright constantly through the Old Testament. Prophets were gone, were sent to him. Others were sent. He said, all of these uh, prophets you killed and stoned, you, you set up. And, the, and it's interesting that he uses the, the language of stoned. Uh, that he says that's a language that was for blasphemers. That was, a, that was language of one who was killed for a transgression against the law. He says, you, you destroyed them. And you would assume that Jesus would have only venom and hate for those who had done that. But you see a very different side of Jesus. Where he uses language and the double use of of Jerusalem is like when he came and was speaking to Martha and Mary. And he said, Martha, Martha. The sweetness of those words of compassion towards her. And it's as if Jesus is standing there going, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, 
object of my affection and my love. It's a tender side of Jesus that we need to see uh, because we so often, and it's important to highlight uh, the fact that he is a coming king, that he is a powerful warrior, that he is a savior in all of those things, that he's fully God. And when we highlight the fact that he's fully God, we need to be reminded that being fully God was also being fully compassionate to having a heart broken over those who reject Uh, the good news of the gospel that's presented to them. And so you see that he was coming in with these words uh, of tenderness and affection. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who've rejected and you've turned away others, even to the point of killing, but how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. What a picture I, I'm, I go back to sort of Disney days of watching the cartoons, and I don't remember, maybe it was Charlotte's Web, I don't remember, maybe it wasn't Disney, but where you see the rain comes in, and there's this mother hen who just spreads out her minions. She spreads out her wings, and the little chickens just come up underneath it, and she runs with them through the storm into safety, and they find a nest. It's tender, and it's sweet. And Jesus is saying, that's how I wanted to approach you. Who needs protection from a storm? Only those who can't protect themselves. Uh, Who needs to have someone spread out over them and and cover them? Only those who are exposed to, to these things. And what Jesus is doing is with deep compassion and with deep sensitivity and with language that is actually feminine language. Men, you need to hear that. It's feminine language uh, ascribed to the person and work of God himself, which you go, but he's father and he's king. How is that? Well, in the midst of that, what that's really saying is this. Though God is overall distinguished as masculine, in the midst of great masculinity are qualities that we've determined to be feminine. To be a man and to be strong in those ways doesn't mean you're without tenderness or compassion. It doesn't mean that you don't have a sensitivity for those who are weaker than you and a care for those who are exposed in all of those things. And so what Jesus brings to the table is this heartfelt compassion for those who are lost. That's important for us to hear because we as a church and as individuals need to know that God takes no pleasure in the rejection of the world of him. He doesn't sit and go, see, they're getting what they deserve. Sometimes we feel that way, right? Have you ever seen and read and somebody gets what they deserve and you kind of feel good inside? You're like, yeah, they got what they deserved. God doesn't take delight in the destruction of the wicked. It says that he celebrates and there's joy in heaven when one one sinner turns and comes to faith in him. And so what I want to highlight for you here, and I want you to hear this, for some of you, Maybe you're the object of this love right now. You've been rejecting him and rejecting him and rejecting him. And I want you to hear he is pursuing you. And his desire in your life is not to destroy you. It's not to to turn you into something that you don't want to be. It's actually to come and to cover you, to come and to be with you, to be your God in such a way that you can finally, maybe for the first time, be fully human. To be who you were designed to be. For it's only in his presence and it's only in relationship to him that we really understand who we are. 
And he's saying, I desire to bring you in. I desire, as a parent loves their child and says, I'm setting up these rules. I'm setting up this life. I'm setting up this culture within our home, not because I want to destroy you, but because I want to enhance your life. Parents, have you ever had that conversation with your kids? The reason that we're doing this is we want to bless you. We want to bless you. We want to enhance your life. We want to do this, but it's going to be done in the context of a loving way. And that's what God's saying. And for some of you, what you need to hear more than anything else is Jesus is not coming in just to take you out. He's coming into your life to fully care for you. To fully care for you. And for those of you who already know Christ and your lives are wrapped with him, know that he came to you not out of his justice. He didn't love you because of his justice. He loved you in his mercy and his grace and his compassion. Do you know who got your justice? Somebody did. It was Christ who got the justice that we deserved so that we could gain the compassion that we didn't deserve. And so it leads us to this celebration. It leads us to let us love and sing and wonder. Uh, let us just be amazed uh, at what God has done for us. So we want to see and highlight the compassion of a Savior. Part of the reason that I say this to you this morning is it's very easy for the church to become cynical. It's very easy for the church and individuals within the church to become jaded and to look around in this world and say they're just getting what they deserve. When we're in relationship with a Savior who weeps over a city that was going to kill him and destroy him. But yet he knew that in that, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How we should then respond and apply that in the lives that we live, engaged with the people that we live with. Instead of wanting justice on them, maybe be able to engage them with a compassion that we first have experienced. We've said it regularly around here. You can't give away that which you don't have. And if you have not experienced and received the compassion of Jesus Christ, then you will not be a compassionate person. Ask yourself, how many people come to you when their lives are broken and torn up even by their own vices? Are they drawn to you? If not, ask the question, why? Could it be that you're not a compassionate person? Reflecting in that, the compassion of Jesus in those ways. So the compassion uh, of Jesus as a parent loved his children. Look at Luke uh, 19, uh, verses 41 to 44. And when he drew near to the city and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus' heart was broken because they didn't recognize what was being presented to them. What was the center of life in Jerusalem, do you know? It was the temple. Everything in Jerusalem was centered around the temple. It wasn't just an economic center. It wasn't just a capital. It was the central place of worship. And he's saying, you have no idea who's visiting you. 
You've gone through all of this, and it's right here in front of you. You don't even realize it's the day of your visitation that I am the one who's here. And you've rejected me. It's right there in front of you. Have you ever been around somebody who you present to them or you see them presented with something that's good? Something that's going to give them, truly give them life, and they reject it? Your heart breaks, doesn't it? The best illustration I can find is that of a parent. When you say to the child, child, don't do this, or eat this, or drink this, and they reject it. You're saying the very thing you most desire is the thing that you're being given, and you don't even realize it, and you reject it outright. Jesus is compassionate, and he's brokenhearted. But what happens when the compassion of Christ is rejected? The next thought for us. What happens when the, rejection, when the compassion of Christ is rejected? See, it says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, uh, you uh, were not willing You rejected me. You willingly rejected me. You outright said, we don't want what you're offering. We don't understand it. We don't want it. And it says that they rejected him. And some of the ways that we reject uh, Christ's compassion to us is violently. Some of you have a very adamant stand against it. The world around us has a very adamant stand against what's being presented in the gospel, that they want to get rid of it and destroy it. Others would take a more subtle route of just simply a disbelief. And for some of you, maybe here this morning, you're wrestling with that belief and disbelief. Can you reject it? Can you accept it? What happens? Well, I want you to recognize this. When you reject it, what happens? When you reject it, here's what happens. You lose your purpose in life. I was just alluding to it in Jerusalem. The purpose of the temple, the purpose of all of the worship that was going on was pointing to the coming Messiah, was pointing to the coming Paschal Lamb. And here he was, right there. And Jesus said, if you reject me, everything that you're going to continue to do is going to be meaningless. You will continue in the activities. And for 40 years, they continued in the activities of the temple in Jerusalem. But in that, in that Luke passage, he said, a day is going to come, and it came in 70 A.D., When the Romans entered into Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple stone by stone and not one was left on another, basically what God said was, you didn't get it when he came. That you you no longer need the temple because the temple has come and it's now dwelling. You, the people of God, are dwelling, are the indwelling place of the Spirit of God. And so the temple worship functioned for 40 years. Think about that. When you reject Jesus Christ, your purpose in life is gone. You will go on with all of the accoutrements of life. You will go on with all the activities of life, but they will have no meaning or significance. And some of you know exactly what that feels like. That you're working and you're working and you're working. You're going through the motions. Some of you are going through religious motions. You come to church. You study your Bible. You do all of these things. You give your money. You do all of this. But it's done from a position without Christ in it at all. And there's no meaning and there's no value and there's no life in the middle of it at all. And Jesus says, be careful. If you reject my compassion, you will lead a life of meaninglessness. You will lead a life that has void of your purpose. And at the end, it'll be destroyed. You feel that way? Do you ever feel like your life is without purpose? The proverbial, you know, gerbil wheel that's just going and going, and going. You're going through the actions, and going through the actions, but there's no life in it. 
One of the greatest illustrations I heard of that was from Dr. Ralph Davis, who wrote, and he said, going through the motions of life and looking for life but not having Jesus is like an experiment that he saw where a scientist took a Petri dish and and put some sweet sugary solution in it, kind of like honey. And some wasps came around and they began to drink the sweet solution. And the wasps were so fixated on going through the actions of the thing that was supposed to give them life that the scientist came and he clipped off the back half of the body of the, of the wasp. And the honey, or the sweetness, kept coming into the mouth and it was spewing out the back. And the wasp kept going through the motions and going through the motions and going through the motions of the thing that he thought was going to give him life but eventually it was just led to death. That's a great illustration of trying to live a life void of the compassion of what Jesus is offering. Jesus is saying, don't just live. Don't even just live well. Don't just live a good life. Live a life centered upon Christ himself that gives you purpose and meaning in your life. You see, the results of one, if we experience loss, we experience that loss of purpose. The other thing that we experience is that of desolation. When we reject Christ, we experience the loss of purpose, but eventually we experience desolation. The word that he chooses there is an incredibly important word. It's a word that, that harbors all the way back to Haggai in the Old Testament, and the reader of, of this would have gone, I've heard that word before. Desolation. And it goes back to uh, the prophets. He's basically saying this. If you reject the message of the gospel, the message of Easter, the coming of the king, then eventually your life will be desolate. It's not just going to be void of meaning. It's going to be undone. It's going to be desolate and void of life itself. Can you imagine what Jerusalem looked like after the Romans came in? That these massive stones, stones almost as long as our sanctuary is long, huge stones move from one side to another. That the gold that was in the fires were so hot that they melted the gold and it went down and it seeped all around in there. And that Jesus was saying, this is what life looks like at the end. It's a warning. It's a very clear warning to us. If you reject the compassion of Christ, ultimately it will lead to a life of desolation. I don't try to motivate out of fear, but I have to be true to what he says. He says, be careful. You may go for a season thinking that everything's okay. A person in Jerusalem must have thought, everything's okay. This guy was crazy. He said they're going to come and they're going to tear down this temple and they're going to knock every stone off and they would go for another decade. See, it didn't happen. This guy was crazy. And it didn't happen again. And it didn't happen again until in 70 AD it did happen. And then they looked and went, maybe he knew what he was talking about. Now, as an aside, this isn't a political statement. It's not even really a statement of Israel as a sovereign nation. This is a statement of sadness. Do you know what is one of the strongest and most heavily funded projects in all the world right now? It's the project to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Why? 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 Because there's a thought that if we rebuild the temple, God will return. And the fact of the matter is, God is saying, you don't need a temple. And I had to get rid of it, destroy it outright altogether so that you would recognize that it's not about the temple. It was about the meaning of the temple. 
It was about the one who entered into the temple, the one who was the sacrifice, the one who did make our way to God, uh, the one who did appease his wrath and hell strong thunder, who gave us life and gave us love. He has washed us with his blood. He has brought us nigh to God, near to God in the old English way there. Do you see? We still go back to these other things. If I just had this, then I'll have life. He's saying it's desolation. It's going to lead to desolation. Those of you who wrestle with addiction, those of you who wrestle with needs from somewhere else, you're going back to a dry well. You're going back to a place that promises life and promises, and all it brings you is desolation. Some of your families have been absolutely destroyed by the promises of something other than a Savior. By addiction, by greed, by avarice, by pride, by all of those things. Jesus says rejection of him will ultimately lead to loss of purpose. It'll lead to desolation. And finally, it will lead to judgment. It'll lead to judgment. When he uses the words, I tell you, 39, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's not a little conversation between me and Lisa that says, hey, sweetie, I just want to tell you something. Uh, sweetie, I just want to share some information with you. It's not me coming to Johnny and going, Johnny, I just want to give you a little bit of info. It's the Savior of the world coming and saying, I tell you this. The tone changes. Everything changes. It's a stark warning where he says, if you do continue to reject me, not only will you experience loss of purpose, not only will your life have this desolation, everything will be unturned and there'll be nothing in the middle of it except turmoil and loss. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you'll experience judgment. For he says, at the end, and there's differences of opinion on how to interpret this, but my interpretation is this. He says, I tell you that if you reject me, I leave the temple. And the next time you see me, you'll say, blessed be the name of the Lord. But it won't be out of voluntary praise. Uh, It'll be out of involuntary acclamation. He's saying it won't be out of voluntary praise, but it'll be out of the fact that I will one day re-enter my world. I will one day re-enter the temple. I will one day re-enter, but it will be a day of judgment, not a day of opportunity. That doesn't preach well in our culture, does it? Some of you are going, man, I'm not coming back to this church again. Gosh, kind of heavy. Well, sometimes, not sometimes, all the time, we need the full counsel of the Scripture and of God. And there are very practical and pragmatic reasons why you need to give your life to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ will give you a life that has purpose and meaning. He will give you a life that isn't desolate, that it is, even in the difficult times, one that gives you hope in this life. And those are important things, but we cannot present it to you, and I cannot with good conscience present it to you in a way and say, come to Jesus, and in six weeks your marriage is going to be better, and in 12 weeks most of your addictions will be gone. Give it six months and your financial issues will be uh, set by the wayside, at least as you tithe. Because if you tithe, then everything becomes right financially. We all know that. And and all of these things. And you'll never be touched. Cancer is going to be gone. All of those wonderful things. Well, there are some practical and reasonable things in that. That if you do come to Christ, hopefully your personal relationships will be better. 
If you do come to Christ and begin to address your finances from a way that God's perspective and vantage point, there is blessing that comes in that. If you take care of this body, which is the temple, uh, then there are physical things that can happen that are positive in that. But all of us know that those aren't it. At the end of the day, the reason and the motivation for why we need to come to Jesus Christ is this. We ultimately don't want to face him as our judge. We want to face him as our savior. And as heavy as that may sound, I can't present the counsel of God without telling you that. That if you are rejecting him today, you'll have to face him again one day. And explain to him why you wanted nothing to do with him in this life. So, here's where we'll end today. How are you going to respond to the compassion of a weeping Savior who says, oh, I love you, and I want you to see who I am, and I want you to see me in all of my weakness and in all of my grandeur. I want you to see me as the servant and the king. I want you to see me as the lion and the lamb. I want you to see who I am because I want to overwhelm you. I want you to come into relationship with me. So the question then becomes, how will you respond today? Only you can answer that question. But I want to put it out there for you. Because the last thing, the eulogy and the epilogue of your life doesn't need to be, and the glory departed. That he wouldn't leave you, but that he turns to you and comes. And the beauty of it is this, and we'll end here. It can happen that fast. For just a few days later from this talk, from when he wept, he was on a cross. And one who had rejected him and one who had wanted him dead was on a cross next to him. And that one looked at him and said, I'm going to die today. But the one thing I've come to know is that you shouldn't be because I know who you are. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in my father's house forever can happen to you today that you can give up your unbelief then you can give up on all of your own purposes in life and you can give up pursuing wrong things and you can finally turn today and go I want you and Jesus says you have me in all of my fullness in all of my completeness and you will experience a compassion and a love that you have never ever thought was possible in your life I hope that draws you to him I hope that draws you to him this season as we look at this Savior who is both compassionate and passionate, King and Savior, Lion and Lamb brought together. And I hope it would never be said of any of us, oh, Bill, Bill, how I wanted to love you in this life that I gave you, but you would have none of it. I don't want And I don't want you to want that. (laughs) So let's come together today and draw near to this one who is giving us life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you, you give us this message of hope and not of despair. That you come to us and you come with words of life but also words of warning. And those are important to us. 
that when rules and laws are broken, there are consequences. When, when things are done wrongly, there can be consequences. But also when things are done correctly, when we follow you and pursue you and we trust in you, then we gain meaning in life. Then our lives are not desolate, but they're filled with life and power and the very Holy Spirit of God himself. And that our lives ultimately lead to life and not to death. And on that judgment day, we will look and see scars on hands and feet and on a brow. It said, I paid it for you so that you can experience my full compassion. For those here today wrestling with these truths, would you break through in their hearts? And would you move them, even as we sing this last song, to give their lives to you fully and to celebrate you as their coming king? And the next time we see you, it will not be out of forced acknowledgement, but out of joyful, spontaneous praise for the coming of our Messiah. Shalom. Shalom is what we seek in our lives. Be our Prince of Peace. Amen.